Welcome to the Besties with Breasties podcast. Sarah Hall here. I am a certified health and wellness coach, athletic trainer, mom, and breast cancer survivor. I help women overcome their own mind drama to make mind shifts that open up the possibility for their most empowered and energetic life. And I am Beth Wilmus, author, speaker, and founder of a human investment organization, otherwise known as a nonprofit called Faith Through Fire. Our mission is to reduce the fear and anxiety that breast cancer patients feel and replace it with hope and a path toward thriving. This podcast is about our experiences with breast cancer and life after as young survivors and moms. All right. So hello. Hey, good, good morning. morning. How are you? <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> Uh, so exciting. We are going to be talking to Casey Mills again. So kind of continuing off our last episode about emotional well-being. We're going to be interviewing Casey today and we're going to be talking about food. I know, which is a good topic to talk about because I'm actually kind of hangry right now. <laughs> <laughs> I walked out of the house without eating breakfast and I, I'm a breakfast person. Are you a breakfast person? So I, it's funny because I'm coming back to breakfast. I have been trying this intermittent fasting where I don't eat until about 11 mm-hmm. and I'm just I'm putting it in the trash can. I've I've tried it. It's not for me. I'm coming back to like a like a nut granola breakfast. It's just it, my days. I hate you when I start don't, with a meal. Uh, yeah, I want to look forward to waking up and eating something yummy. Yeah, I yeah. agree. I did intermittent fasting and I still do somewhat, but I for a long time I was skipping breakfast and not having my first meal until like twelve or one. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, like you, I kind of abandoned it because I enjoy my morning ritual. And part of my morning ritual is to make a healthy big breakfast. Mm-hmm. And when I do that, I'm not even hungry until like two or three yeah. o'clock in the afternoon. So yeah. I'm I'm bringing breakfast back too. What yeah. about you, Casey? Are you a breakfast eater? So, no, I'm not at all. And I'm glad that there's some research now finally supporting that you don't have to have the breakfast. And it Mm -hmm. it depends on the different reasons, too, and understanding your body. So, no, I'm an intermittent faster. So I do Mm -hmm. 12 to 8 is my time where I do it. Either 12 to 8 or 1 to 9, depending on my uh, work schedule. Mm -hmm. But I do it. Yeah. And I love it. It's the best. For me. All right. So let's get into our discussion because we're going to talk to Casey today about food, how certain foods make us feel, how our diets have kind of evolved over time, and then the connection between what we eat and our mental health. We're going to finish up with how we make eating well manageable in our lives. So that's going to look different for everybody. So we've already kind of hit on that point. Yeah. But before we dive into that, let's let's hear from our first sponsor. Hair loss is consistently ranked as one of the most feared side effects of chemotherapy treatment. The emotional impact chemo hair loss can have on patients has been well documented. Scalp cooling is a simple treatment that can prevent hair loss caused by certain chemotherapy drugs. The use of scalp cooling is proven to be effective in preventing chemotherapy-induced alopecia and can result in people retaining much of their hair. Paxman is the global leader in scalp cooling. Their cold cap is scientifically proven to reduce hair loss during chemotherapy. If you are facing cancer treatment and concerned about losing your hair, Ask your provider about scalp cooling and visit our website at www.coldcap.com. All right, we are back. So let's talk about how certain foods make us feel physically. What kind of homes did you guys grow up in? Were you, what was your, like, I'm really interested in the relationship to food. Like, I grew up in a home 
where my parents didn't they ate to fuel their bodies Mm -hmm. but they didn't eat to comfort themselves they didn't eat a lot of unhealthy like they my mom didn't make unhealthy food we never ate out my parents were gym members we were always at the gym they were super healthy um and so i grew up in that kind of home but as i got older and like stress and and busyness and stuff my habits are worse than my parents were huh when they yeah yeah Hmm. so were you the same way or different i grew up on a cattle farm not like an angus i mean there it was a beef farm but we i mean i i remember being at my grandparents and sitting down to a like a big plate of like homegrown corn on the cob and plates of tomatoes and i mean we was uh, it was pretty heavily vegetable focused your Um, midwest is showing sarah i know (laughs) but you know but then we also had like you know i i remember having macaroni and cheese a lot coming home and not that like you know, I feed my kid, kids macaroni and cheese, but like I do remember having quite a bit of processed foods. And and I think that that was like the 80s and 90s is really when a lot of that processed food was coming out. So like our parents were just doing the like the best that society showed them like, hey, have, make your life easier by doing this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, yeah, of course, we had there was lots of vegetables from being on a farm, but there was also lots of processed food from just being in the 80s and 90s. What about you, Casey? Well, being from up north, we had a shorter growing season, so we would eat a lot of both of my sets of grandparents had gardens. And so we would have the fresh vegetables from the garden, a lot of the fresh fruits, and we would go picking in raspberry patches and everybody mm-hmm. had strawberry patches, wild strawberries or things like that, or green beans and carrots and everything you could think of during those months. I would say bigger than even the diet, what I think so important is the culture And so it would be five to five 30 every night and you would sit around a table. Mm -hmm. And so that was the part. So it was more of the act of eating a meal, especially dinner and sitting around. And I mean, that's the biggest part of what helps our digestion too, is sitting around a table, right? Having that reduce our stress that helps us with our digestion. So I think that's a big part of it too, that has really changed people grabbing things on the go eating, standing up, eating in front of a TV, not being mindful. So I think that's a big thing that's changed is how many people actually sit around a table and eat their dinner at the same time throughout the week. So that's kind Mm -hmm. of a non-negotiable in our house. Our kids love dinner time because we sit down together and we eat dinner together and that there's no distractions. There's Mm -hmm. no, I mean, occasionally we'll eat in front of the television if we're watching a movie or something, but for the most part, we sit down and that's our time together uninterrupted, just mm-hmm. focused on our family. And they love it. I mean, yeah. they look they, they they may not like what I made for dinner, but they like yeah. <laughs> they like sitting around and complaining about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it brings it's them time together. for checking in too. So it's how your day when it's giving that connection time. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that in our household too, that is a non-negotiable, even on the weekends, that we're all sitting around, we're checking in. There's no devices, TV's off, and we're talking to each other. Yeah, I think that that's a part of eating that people don't really think about. You're right, that cultural mm-hmm. piece and, you know, mindfully eating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I, I So, you know, we're talking about how kind of we grew up and the different ways that we are mindful about our eating. I our diets, how they've changed over time. Like you mentioned it, Sarah, that in the 80s, I think in the 70s is actually because I Googled it. Like, when did we start seeing a lot of processed foods? You know, when did oh, we yeah. start incorporating all these, in, you know, these chemicals into our food to, mm-hmm. to make it to where we can just pop them in the microwave and, and be done with it? And I think it kind of started in the 70s. And then to your point, because I grew up in the 80s with, you know, that's when it kind of started to go. Marketing. The, marketing. A thing. <laughs> marketing. Yeah, yeah, the marketing went wild. Mm-hmm. And now here we are. 
And I know for a fact that my habits are less healthy than my parents were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I so I did look up, I, I just kind of did a quick Google search about some Pew research and it showed that now they, they use data from like uh, 2010 comparing 1970 to 2010. But their research showed that the average American consumed about 2,400 calories a day in 2010. And that was 23% more than in 1970. Mm, Now, that was 10 years ago already, 11 Mm -hmm. years ago. Mm -hmm. So can you imagine what it is today? Probably way more. Right. Yeah. You know, reducing the size of the plate and having Mm -hmm. actually, if you're looking at the types of food, is all of your food the same color? Is it all brown? Reading that it's uh, fried and that it is bland? Or do you have a colorful plate? It's called the brain bowl is what colorful food is. And so it's actually looking at, how can I get as many types of food groups and colors on my plate? One, it's more appetizing. Um, two, it means that you're hitting all the food groups here and you're getting, it's a nutrient plate, rich plate then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the bottom line is, is that heart disease, diabetes, stroke, even some cancers are more prevalent here than other places in the world. And that is mainly because of our diet, you know, meat, sure. proce- meat processed foods, triple size portions. Mm-hmm. I mean, we kind of got to own it, right? Mm-hmm. We got to know that that's our problem. And then how do we go about reversing that? So I want to dig into the connection food has to our mental health. But before we do that, you want to you want to do boobs? Boobs. Boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. You up for that, Casey? Boobs, boobs in the News is a fun segment where we read funny tweets from real people or ridiculous news stories. Boobs in the News, Boobs in the News, Boobs in the News. Okay, you guys ready for this? Do it. Yeah. Okay. The title of the story is Cat Attacks Pilot Forcing Plane to Make an Emergency Landing. All right. So <laughs> How did the cat get on the plane? Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, look at this picture of this cat. Casey, you oh, can't see that. Yeah, oh, right. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So a mid-air catastrophe unfolded on Wednesday when a stowaway cat attacked a pilot, forcing him to make an emergency landing. The Qatar-bound flight was forced to return to Sudan's capital city after the cat made a surprise appearance in the cockpit and began to attack the pilot and crew. Um, According to this news source, the feline was noticed by cockpit crew about half an hour after takeoff. The cat attacked the pilot and resisted all efforts to be captured, eventually forcing the plane to turn around and make an emergency landing. So first of all, how did he get into the plane? One, two, how did he get into the cockpit? Yeah, they're usually quite sealed off. Right? (laughs) And then my question is, okay, so this cat's like freaked out. I get it. Uh You know, the cat probably wandered in thinking, oh, what's this? And then, you know, they take off and he freaks out. Uh But I mean, you can't capture a cat without making an emergency landing. (laughs) Doesn't that? I mean, when those cats go crazy, I'm not a cat person, but when those cats go crazy, I'm not going anywhere near it. Maybe that maybe that pilot was like deathly afraid of cats. Here's the thing. I'm going to suggest that he was not declawed. Oh, there's a yeah. You know what I mean? If that cat was declawed, I would have grabbed that thing in two seconds. But if that thing's that that thing's, you know, sporting a full set. That, that, that takes on new meaning. Totally. Oh, like a movie, like snakes on a plane. <laughs> right. Right, right, right. Yes. Uh, frenzy. Right. I'm wondering what happened. on a plane. Right. I mean, they probably had to call. They don't say what happened to the cat. They don't explain how long the, the flight was delayed. I just thought that was funny that this oh cat like gosh. creeped on there and caused such a ruckus oh. that they had to make an emergency landing. Yeah. So is the is the boob the cat or is the boob the the flight crew that couldn't control the cat? Definitely the cat. You always blame the cat. Oh, see, I was gonna go for the flight crew, but all right. (laughs) That's my bias against cats. There you go. Oh yeah, you're not a cat person. No, Casey, are you a cat person? 
I, I, I think they're cute. I don't own them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I exactly. actually. They're not very loving. No, they're not. Know. But see, I that's why. That's why. My family <laughs> likes cats. We can't have them because we're some of us are allergic. But we like cats for that reason. They're very independent and they don't yeah. require a lot of like you know. I don't know. And we had a cat growing up, and I think this is what turned me off: is that literally I would wake up in the morning, and then the cat would be at the like foot of my bed, and I jump out, and then I just unprovoked, she would just hug my leg with her claws and dig in, and I'm like, I mean, what? That I just woke up. My mom. The, so good we, morning. We probably don't have time for this, but I'll tell the story anyway. Exactly. <laughs> they can be ornery. Yeah. So my mom. My mom tells the story that she had her cat before she met my dad. And then she met my dad and they got married and they still had the cat. Well, the cat was jealous. And so he would wait until my dad would fall asleep and he would go up to a windowsill and jump from the windowsill and pounce on his stomach. <laughs> oh, my God. And then like scurry off. Or That's he, like like or, wrestler kind right, of stuff. Or the cat would pee in his shoes. <laughs> so, oh yeah. So like they the can be. Go. Yeah, they can be honoring. All right. There's that's our boobs in the news for today. <laughs> boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. All right, so let's talk about the connection food has to our mental health. Yes. Yes. Um, you're, you're the expert, Casey. You got to fill us in for sure. Yeah, so Casey, <laughs> in addition to being a licensed profes- professional counselor, you're also cer- a certified mental health integrative medicine provider. That is a mouthful. So you provide clients education in the connection between what patients eat and their mental health, right? Correct. Correct. Now, is this intersection between mental health and food relatively new? I feel like it is. Well, it's not, I would say that it's not new. I would say that people are paying more attention to it now in the United States. But if we're looking in Europe and other countries, that we just tend to kind of fall behind. Um, always. Yeah. We always yeah. do. Why is that? Yes. And so I, I, we just don't make it a priority, right? The research is just finally getting there. In the U.S., when I do a lot of research about different programs that I've wanted to create, things like that, like trying to find the link between for example, one of my research was like yoga and the effects on the treatment of cancer, right? So all, most of my research I could find was in Switzerland, hmm. right? So we just don't have that functional medicine, complementary medicine. Sometimes it can be considered alternative medicine. I'd see it as more complementary going along with the other treatments. But no, we just don't have that research here. So it's not that it there it's unknown. It's that people are just finally seeing that this there's this huge link between diet, digestion, and mental health, mm-hmm. and are starting to pay attention to it. So here's a fun fact that I came across: the average human brain accounts for two pounds of your total body weight, but it takes up twenty percent of your caloric intake. Yeah. So you need to feed your brain, right? Like that's got to be that's got to. Yeah. Right. And our brain is 60% made of fat as well. So something to be aware of, we have to feed our brain besides with nutrients, we have to feed it with fat, Mm -hmm. healthy fats. And that's this whole, when we did that whole, we were in that uh, generation of the fat free diet. Mm. That's not healthy. Well, I think we need to clarify for people what healthy fats are. So Mm. what do you guys have a a favorite healthy fat? Mine's avocado. Yeah. Avocado. Olive oil. Olive oil. Yeah. Yeah. Olive oil. Avocado oil. Yeah. I cook a lot with the infused oils. I'll use those on salads. All the all the aren't the nuts like walnuts and almonds walnuts. are really yes. good. Yes. Are really good. Yep. You know, salmon and is a healthy fat. Salmon. Yeah. Oh, I love me some salmon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that was not always the case when I was younger. I didn't care for it. Now I love it. It's all about how you yeah. make it, though. Yeah. So are we? 
So what are we saying in terms of the connection to mental health? Are we like when it comes to anxiety, depression, ADHD, other mental health disorders, can what we eat impact those symptoms? Yes, they really can. And so again, it's complementary. It's not alternative. So if you're taking a medication, you know, some research will suggest that there will be potentially an opportunity to change medications, decrease it since we are food So when we're looking at medications for depression, for anxiety, things like that, what we're treating is your neurotransmitters. We're looking at your dopamine, your serotonin. Well, food, what happens is we digest food, it turns into chemical messengers, neurotransmitters. So that supports our emotional and cognitive life. So digestion releases these nutrients in the food for the body to then use. I know that's a multiple, Mm -hmm. but... That is one of those things, too, that the food can have this great effect on our chemical messengers in our body to support that emotional life, right? And so it's, you know, when we're looking at some of the links, too, there's, when we're looking at, for example, you mentioned depression, anxiety, there's also a link between GERD and PTSD. Mm-hmm. So any type of PTSD, but they were finding a lot of research between GERD and digestive disorders. What is GERD and, for people listening? Uh, what is GERD? So it's gastroesophageal reflux disorder. And so it's going to be when that stomach acid bubbles up and comes into your esophagus, which can then wear down your esophagus. You would symptoms of this are hiccups, heartburn, nausea, chest pain, things like that. And, but that PTSD, they're finding a big link between that military uh, personnel that have PTSD also have GERD is what they're finding. Hmm. They're finding with a disorder like colitis linking with anxiety, depression. And this is another interesting one, depression. You were, we were talking about digestion, but digestion issues also show up in our skin. And a lot of people aren't aware of that. So there's a link between depression and dermatological conditions like adult acne and dairy. For example, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's, so it really comes out in different ways, our issues with our digestion. I've heard, and I, I kind of live by this, that our gut is our second brain. And how you feed your gut is how you are feeding your brain. It is 100% because there's a bi-directional communication between our second brain, the gut, and our first brain. Mm-hmm. So it's, again, when that when the food is turned into those chemical messengers, where are those chemical messengers going? They are going to the brain, right? They're using those, our digestions and using those nutrients in the food for the body to use, but it's sending it back and forth from the brain to the gut. Hmm. That's so so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I've I've had some digestive issues in terms of like chronic constipation my entire life. There's some TMI people (laughs) or an adult acne. And so it's like right now I'm in the process of trying to identify, you know, what in my diet could be contributing to these these factors and how can I, you know, tweak that to be at optimal health. And it's important to note for anybody that has like these concerns or that want to look into this more. It is a process. You know, you're not going to learn things overnight. It Mm -hmm. really is kind of a process of self-discovery and your needs are going to be different than the person next to you. Mm -hmm. And so it's a commitment, but I I think it's one that's worth having. Right. The the more you learn, I mean, we probably say this on every episode, but the more you learn about yourself, the better you can take care of yourself for the long haul. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's never too late to figure it out. Like, what is your exact code on how to eat to feel the best. Well, you know, and I, I've read a few articles now that I find fascinating. And I 
we might have touched on this in a previous episode. I'm not sure where you can have somebody who's, you know, 25 who has the biochemistry of an 80 year old Mm -hmm. and you can have an 80 year old that has the biochemistry of a 30 year old, all based on how they treat their body and the foods they put into it. So it's not so much about age as it is about how you're caring for yourself. That's where that age is just a number comes from. That's (laughs) right. That's right. So, I mean, you know, and and if you've had cancer, you know, obviously you're going to be more sensitive to measures that you can take to improve your overall well-being and your long-term health. Mm -hmm. And so these are just things that we want everybody to kind of consider. Yeah. No, and one of the things that I tell my people too is that this is a lifestyle. So if it's finding alternatives, but also I've said this countless times, so somebody just loves, loves, loves having a Pepsi, right? I'll be like, okay, have that Pepsi, cherish that Pepsi, but have it be a Pepsi, right? Maybe have it be a pure cane sugar Pepsi versus a Pepsi diet Pepsi with aspartame, which is a chemical that's produced in a factory, Mm -hmm. right? Versus something that is grown from the earth, right? So also making it a lifestyle and having things in moderation. Mm -hmm. I I don't also, I'm not going to tell somebody, hey, give up pizza when you know, and if you can do that for a couple of months, okay, but then you're going to eventually go back to eating pizza. Don't do that then. So Mm -hmm. it's going to be finding ways of fitting in. And there's basic things that you can do that we can go over, but basic things that you can do to make it a lifestyle versus a diet, right? Mm -hmm. And that it is a process. You're right. It's completely a process. It takes time to figure out what your body um, enjoys, how it reacts negatively to different types of food, all of it. And I imagine that, you know, that person that you're your coaching through the pizza is is more likely to enjoy the pizza and have less stress about the pizza when they they have less guilt about the pizza yes. as they're eating it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. exactly. You're not, you're not going to stick to something that's super restrictive, which is no. why all these diets don't work. If yeah. it's really restrictive, if I if I said I can never have another donut in my entire life, <laughs> I would just become fixated on eating donuts all the time. <laughs> right. right. Exactly. So, you know, it's just I know how donuts make me feel and I save them for special occasions. Right. <laughs> That's exactly yeah. That's exactly if they ever come up with a healthier version of a donut, I may be game. The I don't cauliflower know. donut. We the are cauliflower. inventing it. <laughs> There you go. There's, there's our million dollar idea. I don't yes. know if that's going to fly off the shelf. No, probably not. Uh, okay. Well, can we can we talk about like maybe what some natural mood boosters are in terms of foods? Do we know what those are, Casey? Yes. So let me go over some of these for you. And they're going to be different ways of detoxing. Sometimes will help with your cognition, so your thought process, things like that. So I'll start off with a basic one. So something could be for inflammation. And what is inflammation? Well, that's going to be any time that we have stress in our bodies, okay? And so this could be when we have pain, we have stress, we have red, swelling, bloating, whatever it may be. One of the, one of the best things that you could do would be to have turmeric. And now you can put turmeric as a spice and put it with on vegetables, things like that. But a great way of getting it is in chai tea. The Hmm. only way turmeric will be absorbed, which some people don't realize this, is if it's mixed with black pepper, though. So when you go and purchase a chai tea, um, making sure that it says that uh, black pepper is also an ingredient. It's the only thing that makes it actually work for inflammation. I've actually heard that because I haven't tried turmeric because I heard your body can't absorb it. So I was thinking, why buy it then if it's not going to work? But that's interesting. I didn't know that about the tea or the black pepper. It does also come in supplement form too, doesn't it? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yep. And just making sure again, 
black it pepper. Has black pepper. Oh, that's so right. interesting. Did not know that. All right. Right. There's green tea. It has theanine and EGCG, and it's linked to cognitive health. And actually, they're finding this theanine in it is uh, linked to a prevention of Alzheimer's disease. And so they're really studying that right now. We talked about the healthy fats, fish oil. I can never take those fish oil capsules. I don't know if either of you can. I cannot. Um, they're too difficult. To do they digest. make? Do they make you burp, Casey? Be real. Oh, they make me feel sick. Oh, I they do. Like I have them. found. I have found a liquid one that I rather oh. enjoy, and it's really? it's been fine. Yeah. And you know what? Good. Like I. So for me, I keep them in the freezer. Oh, in the freezer, and that and that keeps them yeah. from, that they that keeps it from upsetting my stomach or giving me the fishy burps. Oh, interesting. But I really, really, really love fish oil. Okay, like it helps oh, my great. it helps my brain fog. It helps my achy joints. It helps my mood. Huh. I am a huge proponent of fish oil, which just goes back to the salmon, right? Like we yeah. should be eating okay. fish, but yeah. if you're not going to eat fish. You know, eat your and fish oil. You, right. Yeah. Eat your fish oil. Yeah. Well, and it increases your brain volume. You know, mm. so I mean, all those things that you've mentioned are completely, all those effects you're getting are exactly accurate. Which I actually read this. Say, who are you? Casey. I almost <laughs> called you. I almost called you Stacy. Like we don't know each other at all. But I read this really interesting article where they were comparing brains in an MRI scanner between patients who ate, ate processed high fat foods versus those on the Mediterranean diet. And yes. those on the Mediterranean diets had big, healthy brains. And those that were on the processed food diets had shrinkage. Mm-hmm. And their brains were kind of atrophied. And I, they were talking about how important it is to have a big brain. Like, bigger is better when it mm-hmm. comes to your brain. So I think that that's, you know, you don't think about that. But if you, if, if somebody scanned your brain right now, what would it look like? You know? <laughs> right. well, when you mentioned the Mediterranean diet, too... You know, there's some uh, studies out of the Mayo Clinic that talk about the Mediterranean diet actually reducing heart disease and cancer. Mm -hmm. And they really paid a lot of attention for women having extra virgin olive oil and mixed nuts in a link to reducing breast cancer. Mm -hmm. So when you're saying that the Mediterranean diet, 100%, it's such a healthy diet. Mm -hmm. And I think it's an important thing to note too, that I personally find it easier to incorporate good foods into my diet than saying, I'm going to take all these foods out. And by incorporating healthier foods into your diet, you're, you're full more because these are whole foods. These are, you know, these are not processed foods. So instead of being hungry, you know, and a half hour later, because you just consumed a bunch of sugar, you're going to stay full longer. And then you just naturally eat less junk. It's called the crowd out method. Oh, interesting. There's a name for it. Yeah. When you add things in without saying, I'm going to restrict myself, Mm -hmm. you, you add in the good and then the bad, well, the not so great, just kind of naturally finds its way out the door. Mm -hmm. Positive (laughs) psychology, right? Yeah. That's so focusing on what we can what we can have versus what we can't. Yeah. Do you guys I think something that to that maybe some people might say, because I know that it was an issue for me, it's eating healthier, can we just say it, is more expensive than eating junk. Mm-hmm. And yep. you know, the grocery stores are designed to kind of keep you in those middle aisles. Yeah. And so what do you guys think in terms of eating well on a budget? It is expensive. I would say it can be more expensive, but there's ways around it. Some of the ways around it can be longevity. That's the that's the hardest part of mm-hmm. the longevity of the fruits and vegetables. And what I mean by that is I'm not spoiling. Mm-hmm. So you can get some good deals either, especially now we're getting to the time of farmer's markets, things like that. But it's outdoors, can be socially distanced, wearing masks, right? But that's a, a really inexpensive way that you're also supporting your 
community by doing farmers markets, but also until we get to that point, frozen fruits and vegetables, you can look and, and, and make sure that they're not full of preservatives. A lot of them are not, but then it could be that frozen spiralized squash, the frozen zoodles, zucchini noodles, the frozen rice berries. cauliflower is big. Frozen, yeah, you love yeah. you love the rice cauliflower. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we get the, that longevity where you're not having waste, but also they're pretty inexpensive. I think that also it's just kind of being aware of certain things. So fresh time, for example, we have a local fresh time here in O'Fallon. On Wednesdays, they have double coupons. One, their produce is pretty inexpensive, but besides that, on Wednesdays, they have double coupons. So whatever happened the week before and the upcoming week, it'll have all those sales on that day. Yeah. So and I, I think that goes back to that intentionality. It's going to require some planning. Yes. Yeah. It's yep. going to require some planning. Because so here's two observations that I've had from my own revamping of my diet. I'm not as health conscious as Sarah. I don't think that's a secret at this point, but I try. There's two things that I do. One, meal planning. It saves you a ton of money when you meal plan. You stick to your budget when you meal plan. And then, you know, it, it makes it more affordable than just kind of going into a store with no plan. You'll mm-hmm. you'll spend twice as much. The second thing I noticed is that when I started buying really healthy foods, if I bought, two, I used to buy my groceries two weeks at a time. Yep. And what happens is, is if you buy a bunch of fruits and vegetables at two weeks at a time, by the time you get to that second week, they're all bad. And then you don't eat it. So I personally, maybe this is a little extreme, but I personally like to shop with one to two days in mind. Mm-hmm. So like I go to the store and I might buy the food I'm going to eat for the that day and maybe the next day at the, at the most three days. And then and then I'll go back to the store. Mm-hmm. Now, if you don't have time, that might be an issue for you. But for me, that keeps my fridge from being overflowing. Mm-hmm. And then it also makes sure that I don't waste food because I hate wasting food. So I'm I actually have been this is this is something that I've been working on for over the last year with COVID because I, I just didn't want to go to the grocery store quite as often. I hate I hate wearing masks out like, you know, yeah. you know, I do. I, I follow my rules, but like it's just yeah. not something I look forward to. So it's kind of forced me to be a lot more intentional about my grocery shopping. But I will say I have been making two weeks work uh, by have getting you? yeah by getting vegetables that um, have a little bit longer shelf life. Like carrots can last a little bit longer and Brussels sprouts last a little bit longer. Like the broccoli doesn't always last as long. So and then and then once I get to the end of my two weeks, that's when we dip into like our frozen stash. So you can make two weeks work like that's not, you know, but it does. It's just like anything else. It takes a lot more intentionality and a lot more planning, but it's it's not completely unimpossible. It's, it's no, totally but possible. I have noticed that when I meal plan, regardless of how you do it, when mm-hmm. you meal plan, you save a lot of money. You do so you, much money. You just do. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's I mean, you. The bottom line is, is that and and really fruits and vegetables are not expensive. I mean, you can buy a bag of apples for nothing. And you could there's ways to pick between like if you especially if you're trying to be like, okay, I'm going to really go into this and I'm going to do organic. There are there's the dirty dozen list. And if you don't know what that is, you can Google. And um, if you stick to the organic that are come from that list, those are going to be your your big hitters. And it's usually the ones that have exteriors that are directly exposed to any chemicals that they might put on it. So like a cantaloupe is not going to be on that list because you usually take the exterior of it off. Mm. So if you stick to organic from that list and then everything else, you know, to save money, you can go unorganic. That's usually a safer bet, you know, saving money there. Well, especially cruciferous, uh, cruciferous vegetables, For too. sure. <laughs> because they absorb the most chemicals. You know, another idea, too, could be doing an at-home 
garden and you don't even have to have a big space. You could do plants. You could grow your own herbs. You can do things like that that don't take that much time. And if you have kids, that could be something that you can do with them and they could be part of the whole process. Yeah, my, them grow, eating them. My father-in-law is a farmer and my son, who's 11, loves to go, like mm-hmm. loves to farm with him. And so he started his own vegetable garden a couple of years ago, and he does it every summer. And it, it is a great activity for kids to do. He takes a lot of pride in it. And then it also is not as big of a struggle to get him to eat vegetables because he grew them. So yeah, he's proud of them. so special. Right, right, right. <laughs> so you're, that's a good point, Casey. I like that. Well, before we wrap up, let's hear from our second sponsor. SSM Health is a proud sponsor of the Besties with Breasties podcast. One in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer during their lifetime. Early detection is key and keeping up to date on yearly mammograms could be life-saving. At SSM Health, we offer patients in the St. Louis area online scheduling for mammograms, including next day appointments. Visit ssmhealth.com slash schedule mam to make your appointment now. All right. And we are back with Casey just wrapping up the episode. So Casey, how best can people find find you and, and when would they might want to reach out to you? Sure. And so you can find me through, you can either call me at 636-542-8920 or going to my website, risingwillowcounselingservices.com or Casey Mill, C-A-S-E-Y-M-I-L-L-S at risingwillowcounseling.com. Yeah, guys, I would encourage you if you have been thinking about kind of talking to somebody and you want to integrate, you know, healthy food choices and other other holistic measures, then reach out to Casey and she's happy to walk with you on that. So thanks for coming and talking with us for a second time. It was great having you. Oh, thank you so much. I could talk about this subject for hours. Uh, we're going to have more <laughs> episodes in the future. We're going to get sure. into the nitty gritty of, of specific topics, but we want to kind of give people a broad overview today. We appreciate it. And we will talk to you soon. So everybody, thank you for tuning in today. And we're so glad that you are here with us. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And then we would love it would be a huge compliment to us if you shared it with anybody that you feel like would be beneficial from hearing our message and what we have to share. That's right. Next episode, we're going to be talking to Dr. Lannis Hall, who is a radiation oncologist at Siteman Cancer Center in St. Louis, about the disparities in care for Black breast cancer patients. So until next time, see ya. See ya.